Well, hello, welcome back to episode six of A Pint with Peter. Peter's in a particularly good mood this week because the football season is starting. Yeah, come on, Forrest. Yeah, I feel yeah. like his heart pressure will go up again now. 20 years of agony. <laughs> 20 years of agony. Um, so, yeah, Dad, we left you uh, just crossing the Indus River from Pakistan into in India. We finally made it, Chris. We ha- it's been a long time coming. Oh, yeah. We made it, yeah. It's been I, a mean, journey. I mean, I'm not sure, but I don't think I really captured for you guys what it's like travelling uh, third class on an Indian train. Uh, when these trains eventually come into the station and, and pull out by the way punctuality isn't isn't an indian thing well, that's um, just like northern rail <laughs> yeah well, that's true Pretty you know i mean bitter. i mean you're not talking an hour or two hours you could be talking half a day or something <laughs> like that so punctuality isn't a thing but um in india uh, another i know it's the same now uh, there's no concept of queuing you know, once something becomes available, you know, be it a cash point or, or be it a train, people just storm the thing to get the greatest <laughs> advantage they can. So in India, when a, a train pulls out of the station, there are literally people on the roof, there are people clinging onto the sides of it, and inside, particularly in third class, you really, really are packed in. You, you really are in, in a crush. Health and safety doesn't exist over there. If there's any Indian listeners, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there, are, there are many good practices. But um, I've been back to India fairly recently and you still see things like a guy with um, an electric arc welding gear kind of halfway up a lamppost without a safety harness or even without a safety mask. Um, I was in Kerala recently and uh you know there were guys just fixing a hole in the road with with no um safety barrier there with the cars just going either side of them i think a lot of it is kind of indian fatalism you know there's that kind of feeling that that's who you are and what you are has been decided before you were born so you're just kind of taking your chances so it's not just a punctuality thing you know the distance to, to get to Delhi from the border, it's approximately uh, a 12-hour journey. Well, allegedly a 12-hour journey. So you, what, what you do, like a lot of these hot countries, you catch the train in the evening. So I think I haven't got the ticket, but I, I'm, I'm just off the top of my head. I think the train we caught was supposed to leave about 7 o'clock, but I think it was nearer 10 um, and, and the idea is it goes through the night and you end up in New Delhi the following morning about 7 o'clock. But what these trains do, they, they stop almost at every station. It's quite incredible. And what really fascinates me, I mean, uh, all, you know, Pakistan was, was part of India, uh, but when you get into India proper, if you want... I don't know if it's a population thing, but you really get a, a sense of uh, teeming humanity. It, it, it really does uh, affect you, particularly being a Westerner. The journey, as I recall, from um, you know the border to 
Delhi, uh, it was kind of typical uh, Indian countryside. You know, you've got the buffaloes pulling the plows, you've got little villages with adobe houses, you've, you've got pools of water, you know, where they, they keep fishing them usually, and uh, obviously they use it to irrigate the fields. Um, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, but still, I, I guess, quite squalid. Um, it's very moving in a way, because, you know, particularly back then, you were moving through a landscape, but except for the telegraph poles and, and, and the motor cars, you know, you could have been looking at it back in, you know, two, three hundred, four hundred years. It, it's that kind of a vibe. I think it's changed a lot now, because, you know, when, when I went, it was minus for skyscrapers and minus, uh, I mean, you knew Delhi now, parts of it are just like Hong Kong or Singapore or somewhere like that. But travelling on a train, is it, it, it's quite something. And when the train stops, you, I say you've got people clinging onto it, but when the train stops, obviously there's a lot of poverty in India, and the train is it's like a bit of a honey trap. So everywhere the train stops, you get you know, literally hundreds of people coming and shouting and teeming around the windows trying to sell you stuff. You, you know, usually food and drink. You, you have uh, tea. It's chai. It comes in little pottery pots, you know, and uh, they're called chai wallers. And it's quite easy to do the journey. You don't really need any food because you can just, um, you know, bananas are safe, for example. Oranges are safe, for example, because you know that nobody's touched them. Because a massive uh, difficulty you're going to have even now in these places and you do hear some real horror stories are if you if you get dysentery dysentery was rife because they don't really i mean most of these villages you were looking at through the train windows they would have had a village pump you know they didn't they didn't have running water and and sewage and stuff like that so you know when when you're over there you've, you've got the classic deli belly which can make you very poorly I was just looking at all the states here. I was thinking you could get the, the Jodhpur jitters or the Delhi dysentery or the Mumbai misery or the Calcutta cramps. <laughs> the or, many names. Or the go and gut ache or the Lucknow leakage. <laughs> so everywhere kind of had its um, particular problems. You know, stuff like malaria and so on was much more rampant then. Than it was now, and if you're a Westerner, obviously you know you, your system wasn't accustomed to it. The, the thing back then, because I, I was talking to you earlier about foodstuffs, um, as you move into India, particular parts of India, they really enjoy spicy food, and for a Westerner, even if you ate something that would be really mild for them, it would be incredibly hot. For a westerner so you had to be really careful but um the big standby for us was uh eggs stuff like eggs you, you, you could you could get omelets and you could get fried eggs and uh, they even had chips i don't know if that's a, a legacy of the raj you know it's a western yeah. thing but you could get chips and when you um stopped when the train stopped you'd get people with kind of deep fried stuff you know deep fried um you know, the kind of stuff you can get now uh, in an Indian restaurant. So, you know, we did we did try that kind of stuff. And amazingly, because my stomach's not great now and never has been strong, we didn't really get any tummy problems. It's um, pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, as I said last week, with, with the amphetamine kind of 
side of things. You you weren't eating an awful lot anyway. And yeah, what's interesting, um, I think I mentioned it a couple of podcasts ago. In the early 70s, if you're on the hippie trail, once you got to India, you had to make a, a decision. Being kind of skinny and white and uh, not uh, what nowadays is called beach body ready. <laughs> the prospect of going to Goa, which is in, in the south of India. I'm not sure, but I think, I think Goa uh, in the early 70s was actually still incredibly Portuguese. I'm not actually sure about that. It was a Portuguese colony. The Goa you see now, it, it's, I mean, it seems as if it's been despoiled, but the Goa back then, it was, you know, long golden beaches and palm trees, and um, it, it really was like a series of villages. But, but it wasn't for us. Goa wasn't for us. We decided to go to, to Kathmandu. That was our choice. Now, it gets um, a little bit interesting here, because I've spoken to you about fellow travellers, I've been racking my brains. I mentioned last time that you rarely passing through Afghanistan and Turkey and Iran, those kind of places, you rarely met an American. Uh, once you got into India, they weren't thick on the ground, but you would meet Americans and, and Canadians and, and New Zealanders. And um, you, you might want to delete it, but um, I, I, I was thinking about what, what happened. When we got on, on this train, you obviously try to get a, 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 a compartments are really cramped, by the way, and what you what you have it's not so different now. You you kind of have wooden benches. You have a compartment that, uh, if you were sitting comfortably, could probably sit eight or ten people. But of course, you probably got twenty in there easily. And the very much a British or where then a very much a British design. So you had like long benches, and above the benches you, you had old fashioned luggage tracks which were like uh, like a webbing made of rope that sort of stuff when you got on you you, you crammed in and of course yeah, because you you know you, you were quite unusual you were quite alien to be to be traveling in those places you looked for other uh, fellow travelers and um, when we took that train journey we met our first bona fide American I was thinking earlier, his name, I'm, I'm, I'm not making this up, it not, might not be entirely accurate, but I, I recall he was called Aubrey Wanamaker. Yeah. Aubrey Wanamaker. Aubrey Wanamaker. Yeah, sounds a bit like wanker, but I'm coming, <laughs> I'm coming on to that in, in, a, in a bit. And he, he kind of um, imposed himself on us, and he was in this bloody... Uh, cramped carriage with us and obviously you've got time on your hands because you can't really move from where you are if you if you want to use the loo it, it's a major major trek and the loos even even the loos i've seen a couple of years ago they're squatters you know you, you don't well back then you certainly did i, I don't think i saw a, a porcelain loo you know with the bowl and everything they're all squatters um, interestingly, I mustn't say that word interestingly, it's quite, it's quite thought-provoking at the moment, thinking about uh, toilet arrangements, because the other thing I'm doing on this podcast is digressing. I'm very, very digressive, folks, but just thinking for a minute about crapping. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have come across these squatters in, in places like Greece and so on, but when I was in India... I really got the habit 
of uh, using these squatters. And what they have is, or what they had then, you just have a little can of water next to the squatter with maybe, if you look at little sponge, it's quite Roman. Yeah, and, and, and I'm left-handed, but the thing is, because in Southeast Asia, a lot of people eat with their fingers, you, you use your left hand to wipe your bottom, so you might want to delete this, but it's an interesting <laughs> People need, need this information. But, um, you know, God knows uh, what, how I didn't catch it, you know, some diseases doing it, because, you know, on a train journey like that, even after a couple of hours, I mean, these squatters were just, uh, they weren't only just abysmal, there were people in the squatters, do you know what I mean? These, yeah. these trains are so crowded, there'd be six or seven people in the box. Oh God! So you have to so you've got of, an audience. Yeah. yeah. So you have to kind of. Yeah, they like they wouldn't leave even if yeah, you came that, in. That's right. But um, what oh, what what's what is um thought provoking <laughs> is I got the habit of wiping my bottom with my left hand, <laughs> and one of the first things I did when I, when I, I I got a house was to buy a B day, and even now, <laughs> even now. I am quite addicted to uh, washing my bottom with my left hand. This will probably be deleted, but um, so uh, that's a that's habit. Nice. That's, that's a, my strange addiction. That, that's a habit I've got. You know, forty odd years later. Um, but this uh, Aubrey Wanamaker character, um, you know. If any Americans are listening, so there is definitely so, at least one American. Yeah, so, sorry, the one American who's <laughs> listening to this, but um, you know, un- unfortunately, even although political correctness hadn't been invented back in the day, we did try to be very respectful to everybody we met. But this guy was a real, you know, what they would call a pain in the butt, and he was pretty much a stereotype of your ugly American. <laughs> You know, a Yankee imperialist. Um, he was really full of himself. He could have been lying, but uh, he, he gave the impression that he was an Ivy Leaguer. You know, he'd just finished university. He was overflowing with cash, which he was um, very unselfconscious about. Uh, he's probably got murdered later. In the I was going to say, yeah. yeah people and he, he was bedecked with um, quite expensive cameras. I mean, cameras were quite primitive back in the day, but he, he had some really expensive ones. And uh, he was intending to travel to the Himalayas, possibly moving from Nepal, I don't know. And I'm not making this up. He was uh, intent on going in search of the Yeti and taking <laughs> pictures of the Yeti. Yeah. I wonder if he ever achieved yeah. his goal. Yeah. Back in the you know back uh, in in the early seventies, um, I met a, a few later. This is a history addendum, folks. By the way, this is a bit of history for you. Um, back in the day, you would have found uh, Americans in Africa and and Asia. Some of them were associated with what was called the Peace Corps. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So President Kennedy, it's a very famous uh, statement he made. He asked not what your country can do for you, think what you can do for your country. And he set up the Peace Corps. Uh, this guy wasn't in the Peace Corps. I think he, I think he was. Uh, he's kind of what's nowadays called passive aggressive. You know the feeling. He didn't talk to you. He talked at you. So unfortunately, uh, after a very very short time 
we both, I think everybody in the carriage, took a bit of a dislike <laughs> to him because he he was a, he was a bit of an ugly bugger as well, you know, with big, you know, and he, he had a bit of a shaven head. Um, I think, think thinking back, I think he told us he was a draft dodger because again, history alerts um, when the Vietnam War kicked off. In, in if you look at the early years, say 67, 68, the Americans would, it was covert. But by the time you got to the early 70s, uh, they'd started a draft. And the draft, I think you had to be over 20. So he was a little bit older than us. He was maybe you know 23, something like that. But he told us he was a draft dodger. And the draft, how it worked, so it was by ballot. You know, they picked your yeah. name out, oh, wow. of, out of the ballot box. Uh, it, it was briefly suggested, I hope, I, I think I've got this right, that uh, Br- Britain actually sent troops to Yeah, Vietnam. I actually listened to a podcast on it, like, I can't remember exactly, but I think America was really trying to push us into it. Well, the Aussies, the Aussies certainly went, and the Australians lost, um, I think, about 500 uh, men. I never actually knew that. In Vietnam. The Aussies were in Vietnam, yeah. Because... because I'm watching the Vietnam series at the moment on Netflix. It's very hard, in a way, for you guys to understand, but back then, particularly if you were American, the fear of communism was massive. It was absolutely massive. You know, you had the fear of communism and you you had the fear of nuclear conflict. Um, And in the early days, many patriotic young Americans went over there with, uh, you know, a great deal of belief in the cause. It was only later, you know, that they were, what do you call it, fragging people and things like that, you know, throwing hand grenades into their own offices' tents and things like that. But I didn't keep notes at the time, but uh, I told you before, the the only two notes I did have, I mentioned to you last time, was the one about the goddess wearing her Marks and Spencer's tights if you remember that one. And the other note I, I made was kind of pterodactyls, <laughs> question mark, question mark, exclamation mark. But um, the only note I've got from this particular part of the journey is, I hate Americans. <laughs> <laughs> and it raineth sperm. So you might want to delete this bit. But I, I think the guy, as the journey rolled on, I think he, I think he caught the vibe, as you'd say, back in back then. Uh, but it didn't seem to bother him. You know, he, he had skin like a rhino. And what, what he did, he kind of jostled people out the way because he was going to get his sleep. And he went and uh, inserted himself in the luggage rack. Yeah, it was a prime, yeah, prime position. Smart. Prime position. I don't know who had the other one, but it certainly wasn't us. We were kind of um, squashed yeah, in. Yeah, squashed in. I don't know when it was, in the early hours of the morning, because obviously the train travelled through the, through, through the night. It, it was dark. I kind of woke up with a bit of a sticky patch on my head. And uh, you might delete this if you want, but I kind of... <laughs> I'm, I've, I'm, I've, I'm looking I, at Chris. Two things. Yeah, two I kind of figured out that Aubrey Wanamaker III <laughs> had actually been tossing himself off in the luggage rack. Oh, above, I've above, been making above, something. Above <laughs> my head. Right. Oh. Yeah. But being British... <laughs> carry on. Being British and being kind of coy, I was going to say... I wanted to wash this guy right out of my hair. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Wash that guy right out of my hair. But um, yeah, I'm afraid he must have been aroused 
uh, by something. Um, God, that is hot in that kind of situation. Yeah, because one thing, one thing, I, one thing I didn't mention uh, last time you were here is when when you take speed, it's a bit well the speed that was around then. It's a bit like going into cold water. It shrinks your penis. <laughs> It shrinks your penis, and having having sex with somebody is the last thing you you want to do. You've no interest in it whatsoever. So what that guy was getting off on, I don't know. Maybe maybe he was making love to one of his cameras or something. <laughs> or maybe he was thinking of having sex with a female yeti or something oh, like that, and creating a kind of uh, subspecies. I really want to know now why they don't use that as a don't do drugs kind of slogan. Yeah, it will, yeah. it will shrink your penis. Yeah. yeah. So, kids. Well, funnily enough, I, I understand reading stuff about crystal meth in the States. Apparently, crystal meth has the opposite effect. It makes, it makes you, it's a bit like Viagra, it makes you hard and you can't stop. <laughs> Anyway, those days are long behind me. You know, since I joined the priesthood, those kind of things, um, those kind of things have gone. See, the thing, the thing about being in India, what really intrigued me was the British who left in 1947. They, working with the Indians, had had created a really British template. So any 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 town you went through of any decent size, the buildings were colonial British. And what you've got to remember is it's a bit like that Monty Python crap about what did the Romans do for us. I mean, you know, whatever your feelings are about colonialism, and you can still see it in India now, the British legacy is incredibly strong. Uh, the Indian legal system is British or based on a British model. Ditto the educational system. And something I'll get on to later is uh, the hyper-bureaucracy. The Indians love their bureaucracy. And they also love what, what I call overmanning. It's, it's amazing when you, when you go to India, and it hasn't changed a lot, um, because obviously there's an awful lot of people and not a lot of work. If you, for example, looked at somebody building a roof, yeah, they'd, yeah, they'd have about 20 people involved, you know, but one would be, start off by carrying a few bits of timber and they pass it on to somebody else. Then you'd have three or four getting it up the building. You know what I mean? It's all broken down. It's a, re it's a really big thing. So we suffered Aubrey Wanker uh, all the way to New Delhi. Um and again, little bit of little bit of history for you, for you here. New New Delhi was actually put together by the Brits. New New Delhi is is, is what it says. It's it it was the British colonial bureaucratic centre. So where we were heading for, where the, where the freaks, where the heads went, uh, was Old Delhi. And fortunately, Old Old Delhi. Is, is where the railway station is. So you know when we when we arrived in uh, in New Delhi, it was it was very close to the uh, to the railway station. So every everywhere we went on uh, you know our brief sojourn in um, in in Delhi was within a few miles. See, so I've got I've got Peter holds up picture of of Delhi. So that's New Delhi, the southern part, and you've got these massive 
like thoroughfares. One's called the India Gate, and as you can see, it has all these ropes. This very British. All the all this shit was designed by somebody called Edward Lutyens, who's a very famous architect. And and here, this is where we rocked up near what's called Connaught Place. And w when we went into Old Delhi, you, you've got the iconic red fort, which which you may be heard of. You've got the old Delhi railway station, and you, you've got um, an amazing mosque there. That's I think one of the biggest mosques in, in the whole of India. Also, we we didn't visit it, by the way. You've got churches. I mean, that's what that's what's so amazing about India. It's um, you know if, if if you've never spoken to anybody who's been there, India is nominally Hindu, but it isn't. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing mixture of Hinduism, um, Islam, Christianity, uh, you know, and a whole range of, of things in between. What do the churches have been used as a Catholic church? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, we, we were in Kerala, as I say, a couple of years ago, and the churches, were, you know, Portuguese are Catholic, were, were everywhere. Hmm. In fact, we used to catch a bus in Kerala, and, and the bus stop was sponsored by Baby Jesus. <laughs> so had it written across the top, this bus stop is sponsored oh. by Baby Jesus. So, uh, putting his brand out there. Yeah. Christianity is still... Um, Jesus is with the times. Yeah. So we, we rocked up at Old Delhi Railway Station, you know, stiff. Well, my hair was stiff, shall we say. <laughs> and, uh, and again, it was not as brash and uh, and overt as I think it is now. You, you were immediately hassled, but not in a particularly, uh, it certainly wasn't aggressive. Um, when you step off the train, it really is like being in a melee. It's like being in a football crowd. Big Indian cities, it is like being in the kind of crowd heading you know, down Warwick Road for Old Trafford on match day. It, it really is absolutely overwhelming. So what, what you have to do is you, you, you travel. If you, if you had a bit of money, you could travel by taxi. The taxis, uh, I've, I've seen them even recently, were old kind of Morris Miners and things like this, these old 60s cars. Or... There are a few tuk-tuks around. Um, you have to tuk-tuk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, paupers like us, we, we took uh, a bicycle rickshaw, and unfortunately uh, we couldn't shake off the ugly American. And he, uh, you know, you can imagine, can't you? Hey, guys, you know, can I come with you? Know, Jesus. So I remember, I remember getting this bicycle rickshaw with him and heading off into the, into the kind of dark heart of New Delhi because, sorry, Old Delhi. Old Delhi goes back, you know, millennia. It's, it's like going back as a Brit, or, or certainly then. It's like going back into the 16th century. You know, it's winding streets, it, it's dark, it's incredibly busy. And um, we rocked up at um, a hotel. Well, you wouldn't call it a hotel, like a flop house called Lord Krishna. Lord Krishna yeah. Hotel. And um, in that time, I told you how you could make your money spin out by um, changing it on the black market and stuff. Um, just to give you a bit of an historical insight, back then, you've been to America recently, yeah. the British pound do, 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 was worth $2.5. Mm. 
British pounds were 2.5. What is the conversion rate for you? I don't know, but I can tell you I've got about $35 that I was looking to change back, and it's about £27. Mm. Yeah. It's more or um, less one-to-one now, Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, because I'm no good with maths. I was attempting well, to work it out. Your rupees, you get 20 rupees. So if you're interested in that kind of data from, from that time, a flop house like the one we stayed in was probably... If you think of a pound being 20 rupees, it was probably 10 rupees per night. So it'd be around 40, 50p, hmm. 40, 50p to, to, to stay. And um, as I say, unfortunately, Aubrey made his way. Uh, fortunately, he, he was in an adjacent room. <laughs> like, wow, okay. so he really sort of in. And then um, this, again, I'll, I'll go into greater detail when we talk about Nepal, because um, in Nepal, we, we had quite a frightening experience involving the French. Ooh. Remember I told you the French were... Um, the, the eccentric time. Yeah, yeah, the French. Um, and we actually, um, when we were in this hotel, if you want to call it that. Um, the other guy that really sticks out is uh, a mad Frenchman, what I'd call a mad Frenchman. So you'd go down into, I wouldn't call it a, a restaurant, that'd be ridiculous. I mean, it's just a few rickety bamboo chairs and a table. And the, the big thing over there is, uh, as I say, it, it's difficult to find any work, is even as a poor Westerner, you were Fated, you you were uh, looked after hand and foot. It was amazing. So even in that crappy hotel, if you showed your face, there were three or four people hovering around you. You know, saying, you know, do you want to drink? Do you want something to eat? Um, and of course, they practice their English on you oh, and yeah, things like that. But um, I, I mentioned it. I think in what 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 amazed me was um, you, you'd still find quite a lot of British products over there, like Mars bars and Bovril and things like that. You know, they'd obviously Brasso. So that was a kind of cleaner, stuff like that. You'd see these English products that had probably been made under licence. But the big thing I remember there is, is drinking Fanta. Yeah, I got a Fanta. Yeah, see this little, this little ten-year-old kid. He every and he had a couple of teeth missing. He said Fanta, Fanta, <laughs> Fanta. So we, we just sat around, you know, drinking, drinking the Fanta. And where you know, we were Fanta drinking, and this bloody Frenchman came over. I mean, it's, it's a shame, really, about Withnail and I, because I'm quite conscious. I don't want to make this sound like Withnail and I, but uh, the person who wrote Withnail and I, I think he must have had very similar experiences, <laughs> because this French guy was pretty much like the carrot man we spoke about before. And uh, His name is Danny. Yeah. I remember it. Danny, time. that's right. Danny. Yeah. But his thing, just, um, this is a drug addenda, by the way, this is a drug addenda. His thing was Mandrax. Which, yeah. Mandrax. Yeah, because b- back in the day, this uh, Aubrey Wanamaker, he got quite excited about these Mandrax. Because back in the day, they Americans called them Qualudes. Mm. Qualudes. And uh, it's the same thing. It's called Methalaquone. Um, interestingly, and it wasn't a pilgrimage, by the way, uh, Methalaquone was first synthesised in India in the year I was born. Oh. So it was, it was a pilgrimage to the, to the, <laughs> to the home, the epicentre of, uh, of Mandrax. And Mandrax, um, it was um, a hypnotic 
it, it was given to people in in the West and in the States. Uh, I think they still had, dish it out in South Africa. You probably need it in South Africa. Um, it uh, it was handed out like candy. You know, if you were so inclined, if if you were living in, in the countries I've just mentioned, you could get mandrax easily on prescription. They have a name for them, by the way, where Americans called them disco biscuits. Like, what would it be prescribed for? Anxiety. Ah. Anxiety. And, I mean, obviously I didn't touch anything like that, but uh, <laughs> people tell me they gave you a really powerful high and um, it took about 30 minutes to take effect and lasted about six hours. And they were, you know, I told you about the amphetamine boom. Yeah, amongst housewives and stuff. I mean, they were part of a, of a sedative boom, <laughs> if you want. It's a, it's a part of British and American history that not many people know much about. Um, and and Mandy's, funnily enough, were regarded as quite clean, quite clean drugs. In the you know, sense of... They, they weren't were... like dirty barbiturates, that sort of stuff. Because back in the day, barbiturates, you know, if you couldn't put your head in the gas oven, was the kind of chosen yeah. means of topping yourself. I was going to say, was it seen as like, I'm going to sound so unknowledgeable of drugs, like kind of like cocaine, that's kind of, in this day and age, it's kind of like the posh man's drug. A little bit, yeah, a little bit. I mean, but this French guy, he was obviously consuming handfuls of them. Right, everyone, that was the end of episode six. Um, Once again, we were kind of cutting the recording into two parts. That's going to be our general process now throughout the podcast. Because as I said before, my dad does like to natter on. So we just like to record for an hour and then we split it up. So then we do the little outros now by ourselves. Um, it was it was quite funny. At the end of this recording session, we were discussing how we've kind of like picked up on things we repeat in, in the podcast recorded. It's why my dad at one point said like, oh, I shouldn't say interesting because he's worked out his is. Well, it's interesting. So he's going with, well, that's thought-provoking. <laughs> yeah, so he's trying to mix it up, and I know I went into it, because I know I always repeat, oh, I was going to say, so I was, like, intentionally trying not to say it. Chris, have you worked out yours yet? I've not really worked out mine. I think I just quite go, mm, yeah, quite a lot. <laughs> a nod. The, uh, There's a nod with it as well. Yeah, the sophisticated, yeah. Um, so yeah, we're finally in India. I can't believe we're there. I know, we're finally there. It's, yeah, I'm sure I've said it before, before it'll be a few episodes, but six episodes in. There's still a lot more to come by the sounds of it. Yeah. We're not done yet. Yeah, so hopefully you'll be back for episode seven, where we'll find out what else my dad got up to in uh, India. Will he escape the American and the, the Frenchman and, and the busy crowds of India? Who knows? I mean, we do. <laughs> you've got to come back to find out got to come back um, right so as always everyone make sure to like like and rate us on iTunes it helps us we want that 5 star rating we want a 5 star rating uh, yeah make sure to follow us on Twitter because you know, we are very active on that we use it to show the items my dad uses as a visual aid for us to help us get an idea of the time that's another one that's another one yeah. An idea of the time. And we also like to expand on some of the things my dad says because, you know, we want people to look in, into it more. If 
they're interested. So I did a recent tweet about the how you, you can actually see the border of India and Pakistan due to the floodlights on the on the military zone. So you know, uh, follow us on that um, at a pint with Peter. And of course, email us any questions you might have for Peter or even just giving us some nice feedback. Our email is... Yeah, we, we appreciate it all. Yeah, we do. Um, email is a pint with Peter at gmail.com. And also, just one last little, little shout. I just want to thank Sean again for the intro and outro music. We always link his uh, Instagram in the description of the podcast. So make sure to give him a listen and a follow because we do really, really appreciate it. We do, we do. And I feel like we keep forgetting to shout him out. But every day, I just love hearing that intro music. It's a nice little funky beat. Yeah. So, so everyone, thanks again. And on to the next one.